0: Happy Easter Sunday. My name is Daniel and I'm one of the pastors here and welcome every one of you that are here and those that are watching online. We are thankful that you can join us on such a special day. This is considered like a a high Sunday, a special Sunday for us because as we've been singing, we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now, over these past few weeks, we've been looking at a series, if you've been with us, called Glimpses of Calvary. And what we've been doing is looking at some stories in the Old Testament and how they were sort of portraying or prophesying ahead of time what Jesus would actually do when he would come into this world. And if you're with us on Friday, we look briefly at how Jesus bled, Jesus hung. Jesus was beaten and how Jesus died. And we saw these things that Jesus did on the cross of Calvary for us. Now, this is all before the resurrection of Jesus. But now that the resurrection of Jesus has been completed, it gives us a little better picture. It gives us clarity of thought and focus so that we can understand a little bit better of what actually Jesus did. It's it's easy to say ahead of time or before the resurrection, well, Jesus died for my sins. Jesus hung on the cross to take the curse. Jesus was beaten in order that I can be healed and Jesus died to destroy the works of the devil and the fear of death. Well, if Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, all of that actually comes to nothing. All of that doesn't have any power or meaning. And so the resurrection of Jesus brings focus. It brings clarity to the work of redemption. It's sort of like looking at something like this picture that's a cross, right? And it's a little blurry. We, we could see a little bit of things. We get a little idea. We get a little glimpse of what Calvary is like. We see some under, we get little bits of understanding, little bits of truth, little bits of revelation to understand what Calvary is all about. But once the resurrection of Jesus takes place, then everything becomes so much clearer. It becomes in focus and we can understand exactly what Jesus was trying to do and what Jesus did. So let me, let me quickly recap here before we look a little bit at the resurrection of Jesus and why it's actually so important. So we saw last uh, on Friday that Jesus bled, he shed his blood so that we can be forgiven. He poured out his blood for us. And today we can come to Jesus and ask him, Jesus, please forgive me and cleanse me. Because there's power still today in the blood of Jesus. In Acts 2 verse thirty, this was a time when Peter stood up and he started to preach the gospel to all the people. This was right after uh, the day of Pentecost. This was about 50 days after Jesus actually rose again from the dead. And Peter said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. See this line, forgiveness of your sins. Jesus bled so that we can be forgiven. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul says this a little bit later on in one of his letters in Ephesians. He says, he, Jesus, is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. And forgave our sins. Or he, the father, is so rich in kindness that he purchased our fe- freedom with the blood of his son. And he forgave us of our sins. We can come to Jesus because there's power in the blood of Jesus. The cross gives us, the, the resurrection gives us this clarity of focus and thought. Now that Jesus has risen from the dead, we know that his blood has power to forgive. He has conquered death. We saw that Jesus hung. He hung on the cross in order to destroy the curse, the curse that came by the law, because no longer is, is it by us doing righteous deeds or good acts or obeying what is written in the law, because we all fail in that. The Jewish people all failed in that. They couldn't attain the standard of righteousness that was laid out in the law. Every single time they would fail and falter and fail and falter. There was no living up to the law. And so because of that, the curse came upon them. The curse that comes because they are not obedient to the law. But Jesus now says it's not about those uh, being obedient to those specific laws. It's about imputing his righteousness to us. And that's why he says in Galatians, yet we know that a person is made right with God by what? Faith in Jesus Christ, not by the works of the law, but by believing on Jesus. And if you're here today and it's your first time, or if you're new to this thing about following Jesus or knowing who Jesus is, I want to encourage you that Jesus wants to have a relationship with you and he wants you to put your trust in him. By faith in Jesus, you can have eternal life. By faith in Jesus, you can be forgiven of whatever sin or whatever failure or whatever fault you might have committed. And says, uh, and we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. See, the law came and it brought a curse along with it. But Jesus comes and he says, don't worry. I take the curse upon myself. I hang on that cross. I take the curse and now you are free. All we need to do now is obey by faith in Christ. And then we saw that Jesus was beaten. And so the, 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 stripes of Jesus were for our healing. And again, post resurrection, we get a better understanding of this. What does this really mean that by his stripes, we are healed? Well, Jesus brings holistic healing to us, body, soul, and spirit right after that day of Pentecost. So this was 50 plus days after Jesus had risen again from the dead, Peter and John, two of Jesus's disciples went into the temple. And when they went into the temple, they saw this man who was lame and he was begging. He was begging for, money. And so Peter looked at this man and he said, look, I don't have any silver and gold to give you, right? But I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And he did. Peter didn't have gold or silver to give, but he had the name and power of Jesus because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven. The curse is dealt with And there is healing for our lives. And we see the clarity of that post-resurrection. Because Jesus rose again from the dead, this now has power. If Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, then all of these things that we're talking about and studying has no power whatsoever. But the resurrection gives it that power. The resurrection of Jesus Christ says, yes, this is true. This is effectual. This can, can happen. And the last thing we saw was that Jesus died. He died for us to destroy the power of darkness, to destroy the works of the devil, to destroy the fear of death that sometimes we struggle with. And so we see that post-resurrection as well. We see this verse in Acts 7 about a man named Stephen, Stephen was a follower of Jesus and he started to preach the word of God and people didn't like what Stephen was saying. And so there was one time when Stephen was preaching the word of God and they were so upset with him and they were ready to stone him and kill him. They said, we don't want to hear this anymore. Well, did, did Stephen shy away from that? Was Stephen scared because he could possibly die? No, because the resurrection of Jesus gave him a hope that went beyond the grave. The resurrection of Jesus gave him the assurance that this life wasn't the end. And so the resurrection of Jesus sealed that aspect of hope that this life is not all that there is. And so it says here, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor, the right hand of God. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing in his place at of honor at the right hand of God. We see here how Stephen had such an assurance that this life wasn't the end. Jesus died to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus died to destroy the fear of death. Today, if you're struggling with the fear of death, Jesus can take that away as he did for Stephen, and he gave him hope beyond this life. See, without the resurrection of Jesus, the whole Christian faith comes to naught. Without the resurrection of Jesus, all these things that we talked about, the forgiveness of sins, the, the healing that comes through Jesus, the taking of our curse and the destroying of the devil and, and the fear of death. All of these things have no effect. They, uh, all these things continue to affect in our life. We are, are, are bothered by these things. We are ruled by these things if Jesus didn't die and, ro- and rise again. Jesus rose again to make all of these things effectual. To to give power and truth to all these things. Paul says it this way. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. If Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, me standing here, it's useless. Me standing here for all these years, it's useless. And your faith is useless. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. If Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, then the blood has no power. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the name of Jesus has no power. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the curse is still in effect. If Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, where is our healing? Well, Jesus did rise from the dead. And it's really important for us to understand that Jesus rose again from the dead as the son of the living God. A lot of times in our world today, people look at Jesus and think, you know, Jesus was a great moral teacher. He said a lot of good things. He talked about loving your neighbors. Hey, I can buy into that. Love is good. I want to love everyone. This is a good thing, right? And a lot of times people look at Jesus and say, like, he was a great teacher. He taught some really good morals. I can buy into that. I can do that. But the problem is this. Jesus didn't claim to be a good moral teacher, but he claimed to be God. Jesus didn't come and claim to just bring in a new ethic of love. Jesus came and he claimed that he could forgive, that he could heal, that he could remove curses, that he could destroy death, and that he could grant eternal life. Now that's a whole lot more than being a great moral teacher, don't you think? Jesus didn't just say, hey, listen to my teaching, it's really good, it'll change your life and make you a better person. No. Jesus said, listen to my teaching Obey my commandments, and there is forgiveness of sins, there is healing, there's destroying of curses, there's destroying of death, and there's granting of eternal life. Would you like eternal life today? Isn't that an amazing thing? It's what Jesus offers to us. It all hinges on the resurrection. So this morning on Easter Sunday, let's look at the evidence of the resurrection. How can we really believe in the resurrection? Does it sound crazy to any of you? Sounds crazy to me. Somebody rising again from the dead. Anyone here ever seen anyone rise again from the dead? No one? So why isn't it crazy to you? Someone rising again from the dead? Sounds crazy. Sounds hard to comprehend. Even worse, it's so difficult to actually believe that. So what is the evidence of the... We have to see some evidence of the resurrection. Otherwise, our faith is vain. My preaching is useless. Where will we be if there's no evidence for the... So let's look at a few things. Let's look at three things. The first thing, Jesus' empty tomb. Okay? There was a tomb that Jesus was laid in, and they found it to be empty. Right? Now, here's the interesting thing of the accounts in the gospel about this empty tomb. It specifically says the precise location of that tomb. It says that it was the, it was the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Now, if they, if people wanted to make up the story and create some, you know, uh, the opportunity for, you know, people not to actually investigate and find out if this was really true, they would not have included that very specific detail, right? To say that here, it was in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea because they could go to that tomb and look and see, is Jesus still there? right? And you could go there and find out and validate to say, okay, these people are claiming that Jesus rose again from there. Let me go back to this tomb and see if there's somebody actually there or not. All the people had to do was produce the rotting corpse of Jesus and it would have disproved everything that the disciples were claiming, but they couldn't do it. And to say that it was a hoax, the disciples stole away the body of Jesus. Well, They ended up paying for it with their life. You would think that if it was an elaborate hoax, they all got together and said, okay, guys, okay, we're all going to lie about this, right? We're going to steal the body away and don't tell anybody. And we'll just say Jesus rose again from the dead. You would think that an elaborate hoax like that, somebody would crack under the pressure of death, right? Because a lot of those guys, they died for that elaborate hoax. So the idea that the idea of of somebody stealing away Jesus' body, it's highly unlikely. They knew the precise location that they could go to. The second thing is that the first written accounts were about 15 to 20 years after the resurrection. So when you read in 1 Corinthians and Paul is talking about the resurrection, scholars date 1 Corinthians about 15 to 20 years post-resurrection, right? It's probably earlier than actually when the gospels were written. And Paul's talking about the resurrection of Jesus, and so this is something of very recent events. And so if Paul is writing about that very recently, if it didn't happen, they can discredit Paul very easily. Now, about, you know, this week, NBA, find, NBA playoffs for those basketball fans. Anyone that follows me on Instagram or, or Facebook, you know that I'm a basketball fan. About three years ago, uh, 2019, something happened quite significant, even here in this building, right? We were watching the Raptors win the championship, right? Does anyone remember that? Right? If the Raptors get to the finals this year, we, we'll watch it here again, okay? So let's see what happens. But 2019, they were actually playing one of my favorite teams and my favorite player, Steph Curry, and the Golden State Warriors, and they ended up beating them, right? I, my heart was torn. I was cheering for Toronto, but cheering for my other team as well, too. It was, it was a tough struggle at that time. Now, say this happens. What happens in 15 or 20 years, if Daniel comes around and starts telling people, guys, eh, the Raptors didn't win. My Golden State Warriors with Steph Curry, they won the championship in 2019. The Raptors didn't win at all. You know, it, was, it came down to game seven. Kawhi was in the corner. He shot, a, shot in the corner. It went bounce, bounce on the rim. And it came out. And the Golden State Warriors won. What would you say? What would the people of Toronto say? Daniel, you're, yeah, exactly, blasphemy. (laughs) Daniel, you're a heretic, right? No way. The the Toronto Raptors won. We will sing it high forever and ever and ever that we won at least one championship. Thank God for that, right? Better than what the Leafs have done in recent time, right? So one championship. If I went around changing the narrative in 15 or 20 years, you would know that it was wrong, right? Right? And, that's, and, and so there's so many claims that are going on. We have to understand, we're, we're looking at this 2,000 years away, but we have to contextualize and see what happened at that time. And it was a truth that was propagated at that time because it really did happen. Here's what Paul says. I pass on to you what was most important. This is in 1 Corinthians, about 15, 20 years after Jesus' uh, resurrection, Okay. Uh, I pass on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. Paul is writing about the resurrection of Jesus, and he talks about the authenticity of that experience, very recent to the time that it actually happened. Now, If it didn't happen, there were lots of people around there that could discredit Paul and he would have not got nowhere the credibility that he has now. He would have been discredited at that time as a heretical teacher because there are a lot of heretical teachers and Paul would have been discredited. Others of the disciples would have been discredited as well. The other thing about Jesus's empty tomb was that the disciples died for this truth instead of revealing a hoax. There are so many of the disciples, again, as I mentioned, if they had uh, decided to come together and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to tell the story. This is how we're going to make it up. And if they decided, okay, well, later on a few years down the road, this is what we're going to do. It was too late. They couldn't make up the hoax later on, right? They paid with their life for this story. They paid with their life to tell what I'm telling you today, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I'm seeing it here, living in a free country and the ability to say that. But when they said it, it cost them their life. And if it was a hoax, they should have just changed the story. No, 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 guys, actually, you know what? It really didn't happen like that. This is really what went on. But they didn't say that, right? And then you see other people like James, for example. James was the brother of Jesus, He went from, from a skeptic to a believer, not just a, a believer, but a leader of the early church. There were people like Paul who was persecuting the church and he went from someone who was persecuting to a believer. We see that people at that time, James in particular is a great example as a brother of Jesus, as a family member of Jesus. Can you imagine if you were in Jesus's family, right? He was getting all the attention, the older brother, all the other people were, you know, look what Jesus did, right? And you tell your other, you know, the parents would tell their other siblings, what would Jesus do in this situation, right? <laughs> do that, right? And so there's all, all this. So who knows how James felt about all this? But once the resurrection took place, James took a step back and said, hold on. This has never happened before. Are you, You're telling me my brother, Jesus, from our family, rose again from the dead and James saw him? And he became not just a believer, but a leader in the early church. Second thing, Jesus' appearances after his resurrection. As James would have been one of the people that would have seen Jesus, there were so many other people that saw Jesus at the time, right? There were people that witnessed and saw Jesus in his resurrected body. It's hard to dispute that, right? It's hard to say that no, this didn't happen. When you actually see it, it's it's crazy for us to think about it. But when you see it in front of your faces, how can you dispute that, right? And so in uh, in Corinthians, Paul says this. He says he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. Right after that, he was seen by more than five hundred of his followers at one time. Most of whom are still alive. Though some have died now, If you were Paul and you're perpetrating a hoax, if you were Paul and you're making up a story, you are not writing this line and many of them are still here. Why? Because you could go back and ask those people, hey, is this what really happened? Right? Did this really take place? Paul wouldn't write this line in here, right? Some, uh, most of whom are still alive. He's giving eyewitness reports to people and saying, look, there's about 500 people that saw Jesus go to any of them and they will testify what I'm telling you is the truth. Go to any of those people and they will attest to the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, right? And then it says, then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles, you can't, you, you can't disconnect those eyewitness reports. It's really important. And the second thing about those appearances is that some of the first witnesses were women. Now, no disrespect to the women here, right? But in that society and in that culture, women had a lower um, status, right? The word of women were not valued as much as the word of men in that society and in that culture. So if you are making up a story Okay, if you're perpetrating an elaborate hoax, elaborate ruse to say Jesus rose from the dead, the one thing you're not going to do is have women as your first people that see Jesus and testify about it, right? Historians even afterwards said, they said, this couldn't have happened because it was women that testified about it happening, right? But what it actually shows us is that the disciples, they just told the truth of what actually happened. Because if you wanted to write a story post-hand, if you wanted to write and make up a story afterwards, you don't make it up this way. N.T. Wright, the theologian and historian, says, the early church was probably under a lot of pressure to change the narrative at the time they were probably under a lot of pressure to be able to say, okay, let's cut this part out. Let's cut out as Colin read for us about Mary Magdalene going and seeing Jesus. Let's cut that part out of the story. There's so many other things in the story we can keep, but let's cut that part of the story because it'll give the story a little bit more power, a little bit more might, a little bit more strength to the story. It'll make the story more believable. They were probably facing a lot of pressure to do that, but they didn't because the story had already been told. There were already news reports going out. It's hard to cap the story now that it's already been repeated and told. And so as the story propagated, and it was because the women saw him first, and Mary Magdalene saw him first, the disciples just told the truth of what happened. And it gives evidence and credence to the resurrection story, right? Here it says in Luke, so they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was... Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who had told the apostles what had happened. If you're making up the story, don't start it like this. Find somebody of reputation, of credibility, of good report, that has a high status, and say, so-and-so, the, the counsel of so-and-so, or the, the, the procurator of so-and-so, or this ruler or that ruler, they saw Jesus in the flesh. No. No some women saw Jesus in the flesh. They just told the story as how it happened. They didn't try to make it up. They didn't try to flesh it out to make it sound better. This is what really happened. And to make it, if they were actually making it up, they did a terrible job of actually making it up. The last thing is the disciples belief. What did the disciples actually believe? How did the, 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 the belief of the disciples actually give credence to the story of the resurrection? First thing is to understand the culture of the day. The, the Greco-Roman culture was a culture that valued actually soul and spirit above the body. So in the culture of the day, somebody coming, if, again, if they're trying to make up the story or, or try to say, hey, this is what actually happened, coming back to a physical body was the last thing that the Greco-Roman culture valued and wanted. It didn't make sense for them to make a story like that. The the, the Greco-Roman culture valued actually the afterlife, the spirit and soul that comes later on. So to say that somebody came back into the physical body is nonsense. It, it, It has no value. They would look down upon that instead of looking at that as something that was great and awesome and amazing. The second thing is that the Jews, they also saw resurrection as part of a larger renewal. So for them... If they had to make up the story of how they actually wanted it to go, it wouldn't be about one person coming back from the dead, but it would be something for a larger group of people. Their viewpoint, their cultural view, their worldview was all about a larger renewal happening for the kingdom of Israel, whether that was here on earth or whether that was in in the kingdom of God. they, They didn't have a view of individual resurrection. None of them, the Jews or the, the, the Greeks, uh, and the, and the Romans, they, they couldn't comprehend that worldview of an individual rising again from the dead. It's not something that they would have made up because it wouldn't have been valued. It wouldn't have been appreciated, right? So, so the, the disciples belief was, was something that was completely different than what culture, society, and, and a normal worldview would actually want. And so, we see as well, the disciples' belief, we see that during that time uh, period of when Jesus rose again from the dead, there were a lot of messianic prophets, let's call them, right? And oftentimes there, they would lead a group of people. And when the leader died, that movement would die as well. N.T. Wright says that probably within a hundred years or so of back and forth before, during Jesus' time, there's probably about a dozen messianic movements that ended, right? There was one that didn't. Normally in a messianic movement or something that would happen if they wanted the movement to continue, well, find us, find a sibling, find a son, find a relative and say, okay, they're going to continue that. Well, we, they had James. They could have said James, the brother of Jesus, he's the second in command. Now he's going to take over. That's what people would have done normally at that time. Either the movement ends or they find somebody else to continue the movement, but they never say the guy that started the movement came back to life. They'll be like, you guys are crazy. But that's what happened, right? They just told the truth, regardless of how crazy it sounded. And let me tell you today, if you're here today, and, and maybe you don't know Jesus as your Savior, or you're, you haven't accepted the claims of, of Christ or Christianity, and, and this sounds all crazy to you, don't worry, because it sounded crazy to those disciples as well. They didn't believe. The women came back and said, we saw Jesus. And they're like, Whatever you serious? Finally, Jesus appeared to the disciples and then they believed, but there was one of them that was missing. His name was Thomas. And Thomas said, freak, I'm not going. I You guys are making up this story. I'm not going to believe unless I put my finger into his hand or, his, or my hand into his side that was pierced by that spear. Only then will I believe that Jesus actually uh, was raised again from the dead. So if you find this hard to believe, don't worry because the early disciples found it very hard to believe. It was strange to them. It was unknown to them. It was a a worldview that was not accepted. And if you had to make up a new worldview of resurrection, this is not the one that they would make up. They found it extremely hard to believe. But the disciples just told the truth. They told the story as how they saw it playing out. They saw with their eyes, and they spoke the truth, regardless of how crazy it sounded. And as a result of it, they preached a completely new worldview that rose spontaneously. And T. Wright says again that if a worldview is to be formed, a new worldview is to be formed, it takes a long time. It takes decades, maybe even centuries, because there's discussion, there's thought, there's argument, and all of these things that happen. But for this about the resurrection, it came spontaneously. It came in a moment. This whole new worldview that the disciples were preaching and teaching, this whole new worldview, this way of life, this way to live, hope for this life and hope for the life after, completely new. Hold on, you're telling me that Jesus can make a difference in my life right now and the way that I live right now? And he can make a difference for me for eternity as well. Blows my mind. I've never heard of that before. Spontaneously, this new worldview, this resurrection centric worldview came up because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they looked at that and said, what in the world is going on? What is Jesus doing? What does this mean? Thank God for Paul, who was able to put words into this new worldview. And say, this is the meaning of what happened. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all his witnesses. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all his witnesses. This was a life-transforming, worldview-changing, radical thing that happened that completely transformed not just the disciples, but the whole world. Till Today, it is still changing people's lives. It is still changing families. It is still changing society. It is still working deeply in us because of what Jesus has done for us. Look at what Timothy Keller says in his book, The Reason for God. After the death of Jesus, the entire Christian community suddenly adopted a set of beliefs that were brand new. And until that point, it had been unthinkable. They couldn't conceive this. You can't make this stuff up if you wanted to make this stuff up, right? The first Christians had a resurrection-centered view of reality. Christ, our hope in life and in death. Christ, our hope in life, he forgives me, he cleanses me, he takes the curse away, he heals me. He takes away the fear of death. Christ, our hope in death. That there is eternal life that is waiting for me with Jesus forever and ever and ever. Oh, that's the hope of the resurrection. That's the story of Jesus. It's the story of Easter. It's what brings us life. It's what brings us hope. It's what renews us and it causes us to rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus. All of this would be invalid if Jesus did not rise again from the dead. But because he rose again from the dead, All of these things we can appropriate to our lives because Christ is our hope in life and death. Timothy Keller says this, every effort to account for the birth of the church apart from Jesus' resurrection flies in the face of what we know about first century history and culture. There's no making up this type of story. How does the church form? How do these people give their lives and die for this truth? How do these people support one another and do all of these things? It happens because of the resurrection of Jesus. And T. Wright says it like this in his book, The Resurrection of the Son of God. The early Christians did not invent the empty tomb and the meetings or sightings of the risen Jesus. Nobody was expecting this kind of thing. No kind of conversion experience would have invented it, no matter how guilty or how forgiven they felt, no matter how many hours they poured over the scriptures, to suggest otherwise is to stop doing history and enter into a fantasy world of our own. What he's saying here is that regardless of whatever they're looking at, if they're looking at the Greco-Roman worldview, they're looking at the Jewish worldview, they're pouring through the scriptures, they are not creating this story. They're not creating this elaborate ruse and hoax saying this is what happened and then we're going to die for it. No. They just said what happened. They just told the truth. They just lived because Jesus made an impact on their life and change their whole outlook. Worship team, please come. In 1 Peter, Peter says it like this, Peter who walked with Jesus, Peter who loved Jesus, Peter who denied Jesus, but then after the resurrection, preached this amazing message and continued to lead the church and caused many more to come and follow Jesus. Peter, that, that apostle that was up and down and up and down, and sometimes we don't know what he was doing. But he writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus is alive. He lives. And that makes the difference in our lives. It causes us, it allows us, it helps us to be born again to a living hope. Friends, whatever situation you're in today, Jesus wants you to know him. He wants you to be his hope in life and death. Trust in him. He's here for you because he lives. Let's sing.